Hi, everyone, and welcome to the ADHD Unmasked podcast. My name is Shanetta Trundle. I have been a working fashion professional for the last 11 years of my life. And let me tell you, it has been a struggle. No matter my work ethic or my determination, there was just, there's always something off. So at the age of 33, I decided to get an official diagnosis for ADHD. So now here I am a year later trying to navigate career, motherhood, and marriage with this newfound understanding of why I do what I do. Also in accepting myself, I'm no longer afraid of my quirks or if I need to ask for accommodations so that I can be the best version of myself in any environment. Along this journey, I have connected with so many people with ADHD. On this podcast, I will mainly speak with those who have been recently diagnosed to try to understand how they're navigating this new stage of their lives. I'm doing this in hopes that you will understand what it can mean to be a person with ADHD in a neurotypical world. Thanks again for listening, and let's get into this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, This is episode two of the ADHD Unmasked podcast. On today's episode, we talk to Amani Kungleton. Amani, I hope I am saying your name right, girl. Uh, Amani is an amazing textile artist and fashion design professional. In today's episode, Amani is talking about how the discovery of ADHD has led her to a deeper understanding of self. When I tell y'all, she seems so grounded and self-aware. It is really uh, amazing talking to her. Okay, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, like, where are you from? Um, and I'm assuming you went to the university I went to, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So I'm 24. Okay. I was born in Philadelphia, but I wasn't raised there. I moved around a lot. Um, and yeah, I went to for fashion design, same as you. Nice. Um, but I graduated 2021. So like my whole junior year, senior year was kind of weird because like the whole pandemic, um, I was actually studying abroad, had my first internship when I was in Florence. Uh, but then we got sent home early because I went like spring 2020. So that was kind of crazy. And then came back home, tried my best to finish school and um, didn't end up working like in the retail apparel industry right out. I think I worked at like the Apple store for six months and then I got a job at as a production coordinator because you know fashion design school can be kind of traumatic. So I was kind of I was really burnt out and I was like oh like let me try a different side of the industry. Like I've always wanted to know other sides but now currently on my job search to go back on the fashion design track because I had to learn the hard way that I need to do something that I'm more passionate about that I get to use like more of my creative skills. Um, and yeah. What do you like about your ADHD brain? Um, the creativity. Like I feel like um I never run out of like, these really forward innovative ideas. Even if it takes a little longer, they still happen. Um, mm-hmm. and not a lot of people can do that or say that. Um 
Like, I love that, like, associative thinking that, like, going down the rabbit hole, mm-hmm. how I chill in and my mind is still wondering, but it wanders and like, hey, like, what if I did this? And it mm-hmm. becomes like, a crazy idea. <laughs> and people are like, oh, like, they asked me, like, how did you come up with braided faces? I was like, literally, I was just trying to cope with having PCOS and growing facial hair. I was like, let me turn into something beautiful. Like, braids are beautiful. Why not put braids on faces? Like, same That's with just, the I, I read a little bit of that, but I'm like, I mean, your work is breathtaking. Thank like, you so much. Like, seriously, you you are a true artist. I can paint a little bit, and I know I shouldn't compare, but I can't help it, right? Whatever. <laughs> but I mean, just and then the dress out of the braids, too. That was gorgeous. Like, was it a dress? It was a dress. I'm not crazy. It was a dress. Isn't that the one for Megan? That was for Megan the Stallion? The red one. Well, girl, I don't know. Let me go through your stuff again. Um, you know, like, <laughs> a red dress for Megan the Stallion. Girl, why is you why is you even here? Oh, why is you here? Uh, but like, why are you trying to cover for oh see? I'm gonna definitely have to cut this out. <laughs> um, I'm learning to interview, but you are so talented. Like, do you ever feel like outside of you needing a job? Do you feel like, um, oh, thank you for that. Do you feel like you would want to just pursue art full-time? Yeah, I actually, um, after I, like, do my time working, like, I'm going to spend, like, maybe two to three years. Three years sounds like a long time, but you never know. Mm-hmm. Save up money so I can go to grad school. I really want to go to grad school for textiles and, like, explore deeper with, like, the whole, like, braided textiles and other things that I'm interested in and hopefully like build connections and you know being a student is a privilege in a way because you get access to so many different opportunities mm-hmm. so like that like I could try to really like pursue something full-time with art so okay so since we went to the same university mm-hmm. um because I graduated 2011 mm-hmm. so um and I know, I remember I went back and um, I did like a, uh, what is it, like the judgment panel for the class of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember having this conversation with them. I was like, well, why are y'all, like, y'all all doing the same things? Like, why aren't y'all sharing information with each other? And they were like, well, because of COVID, we don't really know each other like that. And, <laughs> hard. and I was like, I was like, oh, I feel like, you know, when you, you forget and then like, because we, a lot of us trauma bonded, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like friends, like, you know, that I'm like close with, like we, mm-hmm. it was like, it was, it was tragic and it was, we were exhausted and, you know, um, that, I don't know. It was like, it, my senior year was pretty rough um, mm-hmm. on top of, you know, just the roughness of senior year. Like yeah. um, I passed away that same year. Like, um, I went back. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty fucking traumatic. But, um, yeah, so I don't know. So kudos to you for being able to finish and <laughs> finish on time. Um, yeah. What was your collection like? Like, what was your collection based off of? Um, so I didn't do BFA. I just did BA because I wanted more flexibility in my schedule to explore other oh. things. Um, so my senior year, I still like the portfolio, like the regular portfolio class, but I also okay. took a couple of um, textile classes. So the okay. first class. Wait, real mm-hmm. quick. So EA, because that's what I got. But back mm-hmm. then, 
everybody had to do a four-piece collection. Oh, no, 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 no. There was a BA and there was a BFA. BFA meant like you had to do like the full, you got to make your garments, all that type of situation. I guess, I don't know when they changed it, but BA, like you just, you do the portfolio class for the full year. Just Mm -hmm. like put all your work together. So you create new work, but you can also add like old work. And I have noticed that the professors, especially in the fashion school, have mm-hmm. be, I don't know, like, I guess, you know, the pandemic hit everyone pretty hard, mm-hmm. but they became so lax, like, and that was really when I, the tip of when I Who was your professor? Because I didn't like that. <laughs> like, no, it wasn't him. Um, I don't remember what their names were, I'm going to be honest. That's all a blur, but just, like, mm-hmm. I, you know, ADHD, we struggle with deadlines, so that was always, like, my mm-hmm. downfall, but they did give me academic accommodations. So I used that like the last semester of school. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I was like, oh, like, you know, I'm really struggling with depression. It's on the third. And they're like, oh, okay, like, it's okay. Like just getting in, da, da. And you know, like them fashion professors, like they don't care. Like they're not like the other professors in school. Like if you can't get it done, like that's it for you. But they became really like way more lax. And I was like, yeah, this must be tough for everybody. Because emotionally it was the pandemic was super stressful as a working adult so I can imagine like that is such a crucial moment in your development like I'm mm-hmm. saying junior year I like studied studied abroad in New York mm-hmm. um, and they used to provide us housing and I used to work at the studio but actually I had um I had a teacher when I was in New York and he mm-hmm. called out the fact that I would fall asleep all the time and I was like oh that's because I was like, oh, that's because, you know, I'm just tired. He's like, no, something's something's off. And so I looked into it. Then I mm-hmm. started research. And then they were like, oh, no, you have a gluten allergy. And a lot of people with gluten allergies have ADHD. And that was the first time I wow. ever, like, started. And actually, senior year was, like, the first time I had, like, heard, like, oh, this could be ADHD. But I didn't get diagnosed until I was fully, until I was 33. So that was, like, last mm-hmm. year. Um, but when did you um, get your diagnosis? officially so officially and I'm so questioning if it was even official but they prescribed me the medication um it was when I was 23 like literally right before I turned 24 in November 16th mm-hmm. um it was when I moved to Wisconsin so I've been trying to see someone since back when I was still like mm-hmm. and I saw a psychologist virtually of course again it was 2020 mm-hmm. um and um, saw them, they kind of like gaslit me on that. And they're like, oh, we need to focus on your question and this time the first. And then I was like, I know like there's more to the story. And then when I graduated school, went back home to Pittsburgh, um, I finally looked on the website, like the little health website system that they have over there. Um, it was like this whole, PDF document that I had to download that was 25 pages mm-hmm. with like, outdated questionnaires. You had to fill out all this information and that was just, and you had to send it to a building. So you could either drop it off or mail it. And that was to see if you could even get on a list to talk to a doctor or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was a lot. And then um, when I got the job over here, that's when I saw a doctor here. And so that, that's over the span of what, like two years? trying to get 
to figure this out. But then after she listened to me, she was like, oh, really? So she just asked me questions. That I've been answering like those little online questionnaires. And she's like, oh, okay, well, I'll prescribe you 10 milligrams of Ritalin. Let's see how that works out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I almost, I had to like contain myself to not cry because I was, there was no way it was like, this seamless when everybody else was either gaslighting me or mm-hmm. I had to jump through all these crazy hoops and I was like this is crazy so I tried it literally like 20-30 minutes in I was like whoa like everything is slowing down I'm having one thought at a time and mm-hmm. then after it was a wreck like and I actually had it was like during a work day like during the work week or whatever and I was talking so fast. Like, after, like, I felt great and, like, normal. Mm-hmm. Things got really bad. I was so cold. Like, any slight stressful thought, my heart was, like, pounding. And I was like, this is not okay. Like, I'm scared. So I messaged my doctor. And she was like, oh, yeah, like, it's okay if you break it in half. But if that doesn't work, like, come see me on Monday. Mm-hmm. So I broke it in half. Like, that was better. Um... I was still having like slightly weird symptoms, but now I got put on the five milligrams um, mm-hmm. dose. When you say your emotions are unregulated, were you a person who was always super emotional or? Um... Kind of. I just felt emotions very deeply, like very intensely. Like if I was happy, like I was more happy. Like I felt happy more than. I should have for the situation, if that makes sense. Or if I was angry, like, I was super-duper angry. If I was hurt, sad, like, I was super-duper mm-hmm. hurt. Um, or I would make decisions based on the emotions I felt because they were so intense. Mm-hmm. But ever since I started taking the medication, like, I feel way more, like, regular. Like, I'm happy in a way that's appropriate. I'm angry in the way that's appropriate. Like, it's a little easier now to get myself back to like a calm stable state than it was before and I don't know if it's like an age thing or if it was a medication or both I am the same I've always felt very deeply yeah to me like I don't know it's not always a bad thing but it can be overwhelming like I'm a person like I care deeply about the world around me And so the other day I used it as an example and I was like, I really need to start taking my, cause I take antidepressant and um, ADHD medication prescribed to take both. And my antidepressant also helps me with my OCD. Mm -hmm. ADHD, usually it's like a compound. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so the other day I, like I saw there was a black woman who got punched in the face while she was holding Mm -hmm. And when I tell you, that thing tore me up so bad. Like, yeah. I, you know, of course, you used to seeing violence against Black women and Black people constantly, which should not be a norm. But yeah. it took me out to the point I was like, I needed to go somewhere and like, I don't want to say well, but I had to like release release the emotions. And so I luckily, I live, so I live in Minneapolis and I live really close to the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. So I to go by the river and cry listen to Solange and listening to Beyonce and I was able to let it like kind of pour out but you know that is like that is I think you know luckily like I don't have like I have responsibility to have my kids but I'm not working right now so I have that ability to do that but when I was working 
and I wasn't on medication. I mean, I don't know. People like, I don't know. I, I just was always super emotional. People always just thought, you know, like I just felt things, you know, very heavily. But I will say it's a good thing. But in, uh, sometimes it can be, you don't want to always feel that way. Like, you know, I love feeling connected to people. I love being able to cry with people. But yeah. sometimes I just want to sit down and watch a commercial and not bust into tears, you know? Yes, like I feel more stable now. Like, I can still connect, but I'm not, like, I don't know. Like, I'm not too much, like, over the top. hmm Yeah. I mean, that's understandable. That's much. So, like, it's like a toll. <laughs> it takes a toll. Yeah, it does. I used to always um, beef with my professors. Like, that was my <laughs> thing. Um, and I learned recently that that trait was called, um, oh, my God. It's called, like, PDA. Oh, PDA, yeah. Yeah, I, I just that. learned about that. And so... Um, because I was thinking about it because of my son. I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what my son does. And mm-hmm. then I started looking like more into it and they were saying like, you know, we have issues with like hierarchy and, yeah. you know, you don't trust anybody who, if you can question their um, authority or you can question, like if you don't feel like they're a good leader, you won't work with. And I'm like, yeah, like literally my entire <laughs> life. Yes. Yeah. With my family and my mom, she says the same thing. My mom also has ADHD. And she says, like, I'm like, I always sleep joking, like, oh yeah, I'm I'm terrible with authority figures. She was like, Yeah, me too. And my mom is has always usually held an author a position of authority. Um, which makes more sense because but then she would struggle when she had to like answer to people. Mm. So it's it's really eye-opening because like these traits that are, you know, very typical ADHD or ASD, mm-hmm. when it comes out of, like, I guess, a Black woman's mouth, it's seen differently, you know? And to me, I always question, like, if I was, if I presented differently, would I be taking, would people see it as a softer response or would they be a little bit more gentle? But because I present as, like, you know, and I'm wondering, do you ever feel that way or I wouldn't say so much in college, but I don't know what happened between then. I also think, you know, again, I'm a whole different generation of Kent people. Mm -hmm. And so I've noticed a lot of like the people who have been there for a long time are fading out. I think the last older person that I got experience to was. Oh, girl, chat. She was (laughs) crazy. You know, I ain't gonna say she's crazy because that's that's not. Him. I mean, so oh, the thing oh, is, bro, <laughs> I had a very unique experience. So she liked me. Now there was one oh. time she was trying to try me, but mm-hmm. she asked. I was one of the few people she liked because I could. I had like, strong drawing skills. Mm-hmm. So what I noticed, and I think I was like the last class or second last class to have her because she retired. Mm-hmm. But she was a mess to the other Black students. She was a mess to the other students, period. Mm-hmm. Especially if you, you know, weren't really used to drawing. She was especially rough. I, um, I love drawing. <laughs> she well, was nice. Like, the ADHD is, like, wanting to, like, interrupt. So I'm I like, know, okay. <laughs> but she was also nice during her office hours. She was a different person in her office hours. But, mm-hmm. um... So that was probably like the only like 
I don't want to say only one that I knew of, I could tell was like the old guard. But I had people like Tammy, who was a black illustration teacher, loved her. I had, um, I don't remember what her name was, but she was also another black teacher that did like flat patterns. It was probably Miss Dancy. Yes, Miss Dancy loved her. Miss Dancy was there like for years before even I started. Yeah, so I loved her. Um, There was this other teacher. Now I don't say I liked her, disliked her, but I don't know. She really saw like something in me. Her name was, I think, something like that. Yeah. Hate that bitch to this day. I'm going to have to cut this out the recording. And I will tell you why after you tell me. But I will say she gave me a compliment that I take to my life because I didn't know. She told me I was good with color. And it was something I never knew. Because mm-hmm. when you, you know, have what we have, you, you don't always recognize shit. Yeah. About yourself. But go ahead. You tell me why you liked her. Go ahead. Well, I don't say I I don't like her, dislike her, but she really like she was kind of like one of those people, you know, like those teachers that they see something in a student, but they're always kind of like extra hard on them or like they're mm-hmm. they pick at them a little bit more. She was like that. So that was like weird. I love the um the teachers, the Florence teachers, probably my favorite teachers besides Tammy. Mm-hmm. Um and then who else? Don't really remember anyone else after that. But yeah, but college for me was, let me get back on track to what's really this is about. College for me, it was a little different. I don't think I was ever really defiant. Now, I did have a lot of stuff to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I said that with friends and other classmates I was cool with in private. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of that, I really created my own bubble. When I was in college, like I just, I had my group of friends and that was really my own world. Like I didn't really pay too much attention to anything else except my friends and like what I was making. So mm-hmm. I, it was, I would say that was a privilege to be able to say and do that, especially at like a PWI. People are like, oh, it's like all these people that don't look like me and it's not there. And I'm like, yeah, but girl, when you find your people, like that's really all that matters. Mm-hmm. I feel like that really makes the experience. Um, now, after college, like when I got my first corporate job in the retail industry, yeah, I have a lot to say about that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I was defiant, but like you said earlier, like when you have someone that's not a good leader, it's like, hold on, this isn't okay. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a lot around, you know, the intersection of racism and ableism. I would definitely say that ableism was more explicit so I never really brought up anything about race when these situations and conversations came up um because I knew like there wasn't really any way that I could I don't want to say prove it but like mm-hmm. I said it wasn't as <laughs> loud and clear as the ableism mm-hmm. was and the whole situation I had to deal with getting accommodations um and updated accommodations especially when they changed the whole in-office policy mm-hmm. and that impacted my health um had to go on like two medical leaves I ended up on an emergency room because of the stress was so bad mm-hmm. uh, and then I ultimately ended up leaving mm. and right before I left 
when I first, when I came back from my second medical leave and there was like the whole performance review situation, you know, I'm getting emails about everything, which was made clear that they're trying to create a paper trail, even though I had to correct my manager multiple times. And I told them, oh, like, what do you think about like what we're saying? And I was like, oh, well, I'm confused. And then they got this weird look on their face like, oh, why are you confused? And I'm like, it's not really adding up to like what actually happened in real life. Mm-hmm. And I would love to know like specific examples, yada, yada. And so my manager wrote this email. 70% of the things that were written in the email weren't true. And I think the other parts were like exaggerated or misinterpreted or just weren't like really a big deal that they were making it. Mm-hmm. Um, they tried to say like I wasn't doing stuff in a timely manner, but yet I never cost the company money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the PO delay because of me I was actually the one that was fixing issues that were made by previous people in the role like so and my manager tried to use the example of when I was literally at my worst when I accidentally broke down crying in front of her because that's how when I was literally about to leave for medical leave which you know like you don't nobody goes on medical leave because they're okay because mm-hmm. they can do everything, they can handle everything. They know because they literally cannot function to do their job. Yeah. And yet I was being penalized because I had a deadline for some like workday thing. And mm-hmm. I wasn't able to get all the stuff for the handoff document. And I even messaged the person I worked directly under saying like, hey, like I had a, I had a really bad anxiety attack. Like I was so scared. I almost caught 911 in the office at 7.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. trying to wrap up things the best way I could. And I told my APM, she was like, hey, like, I know you had a lot on your plate. Like, don't worry about it. It's okay. Like, I'm going to be fine as long as I'm on your emails. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is being brought up as an example to justify the things that were being said in the performance review. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, like, I noticed, like, a lot of things you're saying there are directly correlating with, you know, I said, um, it's been obvious to me that, you know, things aren't being very inclusive and equitable and don't align with, the pillars of the company. Um, And I gave these multiple examples. I gave times. I was like, hey, on this day, we had this conversation because when I first brought it up, um, they act surprised. My manager was quiet. The VP was also on the call. The VP was like, oh, Amani, we don't know what's going on with you. We don't know what you keep saying your disability, but we don't know what your disability is. Like, that's not our business, this, that, and a third. And I'm like, well, that's not true because my manager was literally in the meeting. I expressed in the meeting that, hey, things cannot continue as they are. I need to have more flexibility. And when I come into the office, um, you know, like at this rate, like you, had registered, you had registered with the company and let them know you needed accommodations at this point. Yeah, like there, I've had a whole meeting. The manager was in the meeting with everything that was going on. She used to me break down crying. We were in the meeting with the ADA HR person. Mm-hmm. Like I said all these things, but everyone's acting confused all of a sudden because now they got caught. <laughs> because it wasn't until I came back again from my second medical leave that they were giving me what I what I was asked for, what I had to compromise because we were short staffed. So mm-hmm. I didn't do more in office roles. But the whole point is that, like, I just kept catching them in the act because mm-hmm. I found someone on LinkedIn who's like a disability advocate and I didn't get to chat with her. And she mm-hmm. was like, you know, you need to get everything on record. Like, you need to make sure you're acting in good faith. Like, be very particular about the language you're using. 
and make sure you document everything. And that's what I did. Like, I just, and we went back to the whole, like, our emotional dysregulation. I had to, it took me a long time mm-hmm. to respond to emails. Like, I would take, like, a few days. Mm-hmm. And um, I had to wait until I was no longer emotional. Because I was like, I need to hit them with the facts. I need mm-hmm. to hit them with the dates. I'm not going to accuse anybody because everybody's already feeling like, oh, no, not me. I'm not blah, blah, blah. You know? I just want to hit them with the facts. <laughs> And really what I want is for this to be over. And I just want us to be cool and for me not to be extra stressed so that I can have my time a little longer and so I can transition to a job that I would enjoy more. But again, they kept trying to play. I was supposed to have, actually before I left, I was actually supposed to have another meeting to follow up about the accommodation I had um, when I came back from the second medical leave. But that never happened. They kept delaying it. Mm-hmm. Did, so, you have, did you have an accommodation specialist like did the company have accommodation specialists yeah it was ADA HR and that was also part okay. of the problem because mm-hmm. they also are very uninformed yeah <laughs> I'm telling them like hey like these two days in a row in office like you know I've been having like all these physical ailments and it's just not been okay like is it okay if we stick t- to one day a week um, you know, I'm like asking for all these things and I'm being told, and even my doctor, I had my doctor fill a form. Yep. So it wasn't just me just saying this, like it was also my doctor. Mm-hmm. And um again, before the office change happened, I was literally going in like two, three times out of the month. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to my job. Exactly. Oh. They just made the decision, like nothing about my job changed. So um, it was weird. It was really weird. And it was really, and it wasn't super weird for me to hear about this from the ADA person because I had an instance with her before. Mm-hmm. But that was also a problem. Like, she, I was, I would always be perplexed. So I'm like, maybe I'm giving her too much credit because of her role title. Mm-hmm. But she said to me, like, oh, you know, I come into office four days a week. Like, you know, that's just what I have to do. I'm like, you need, no. What does it have to do with me and my disability? When you tell your story, honestly, it mirrors mine so much that it makes me feel very ununique. And um, <laughs> it also disappoints me because it shows that corporate America and as a whole, this isn't unique to any one company. Corporate America as a whole is really unwilling to actually fulfill its responsibilities when it comes to people with um, invisible disabilities. Now, I went through all of these same steps and it still did not work out for me in the end. And it's just because people didn't want it to work out. And I'm you left on your own, on your own cognition. Is that maybe not cognition, but you left on your own terms. Yeah. Because that's that is super rare. And I also think that's different between y'all generation and my generation. Because as a millennial, even though we are at the tail end of a lot of like this baby boomer Gen X, like you know, you gotta grind it out, stay in the same place mentality. I feel like Gen Z, y'all just get up and go. Like if it's not serving you, like in a place like do you know, I don't know. I'm not saying you left, like you just were like, oh, it's not working. But if you can tell that it's not serving you and it's time to go. You don't grin and bear it until they fire you. You know, um, that's very admirable. 
that's the thing. Like, I feel like I stayed there long, but um, I think I needed to speak up. Like, when I came back the second time, I needed to speak up, saying, like, hey, like, this is what I need, yada, yada. Um, because I've always had a hard time speaking up. Especially when it comes to people, like we talk about people in authority. I've always had a hard time speaking with authority, whether it's to my parents, family members, teachers, doctors, like being gaslit, being gaslit and mistreated specifically by Mm -hmm. figures of authority. I would always be scared to speak up and I would just hide into myself and just accept and suffer in silence. Mm. I've been suffering in silence all my life, but I think I needed to break that cycle. And I think that the last job I had was like the the time that it needed to happen was like break that cycle of suffering in silence mm-hmm. and letting people mistreat you. And gaslight, especially people who don't know you, people who don't even want to try, because that was really the thing. I'm like, okay, the people I work close with, they understand, they kind of understand how my mind works, they understand me. So they're not saying the same things as you because they see me. And I said that to her. And I was like, you know, I think we really need to have this conversation of like, you know, really understanding the barriers that I face and where I can get assistance. But until that happens, like everything that comes out of my mouth, you're going to misinterpret Mm-hmm. everything that you hear you're gonna not understand but you're the only one who doesn't understand because you don't want to mm-hmm. and they have like a story in their head and they don't want to change it yeah they don't they don't want to change they don't want to learn and um yeah and so it really wasn't until I saw an, a meeting agenda mm-hmm. and I already knew it was going to be some nonsense and I didn't want to deal with it and it really stressed me out And it stressed me out to the point where I lost my vision. Like, I literally could not see. And I had to sit there and try to calm myself down. Mm -hmm. My vision was so, so blurry for about, like, 10 minutes. And it returned to normal. And I was like, yeah, I keep talking about when I'll leave, trying to schedule bills and things. But I was like, Mm -hmm. I think it's about that time. And that next day, when I was in office, typed up my little email and this was around the end of May. My last day was supposed to be June 20th, I believe. And um, they called me in the office. The meeting, the, the tone of the meeting changed because, you know, I was trying to leave. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I knew that would happen. And um, then they called me back in office later that day. I was like literally in the middle of something with the design team. And they pulled me out again. And they're like, oh, after talking to the HR and the Senate third, we thought, you know, we were working on some things in the background. And tomorrow will be your last day. And I tried so hard not to smile too hard because they're like, yeah, tomorrow will be your last day. But we'll pay you out until the June 20th date, yada, yada. And I was like, oh, wow, really? Yeah, I was so happy. It was just crazy because I kept talking about for the longest. Like, I wish today could be my last day. But, you know, I can't afford that. But (laughs) it happened and it was really crazy. Like the first week, you know, I was just so happy. I could finally work on my art, I could work on my design portfolio. Like Mm -hmm. I just had so many plans, but then things did get kind of scary because I was like, okay, like I need a job. But then I started doing a lot of art things. I went after a lot of art opportunities, but it wasn't until I think the beginning of July when Mm -hmm. it hit because me and my friend were trying to find time to hang out. And 
she picked a date where I had, well, back then I had an obligation and I was like, oh my gosh, like that's happening. And then I, I only have this much money for this amount of time. And oh my gosh, I still need a job. Like, da, 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 da. so mm-hmm. like, it's been like a mixture of things. Um, it's been a lot. It was very scary, but I knew I had to step out on faith because I, w- I asked myself at this point, what more lessons do I need to learn? Like mm-hmm. learn that you're in, at this point you're harming yourself because you know you're in a bad situation or are you going to take a leap on faith and actually put your energy and focus onto something that will be better for your life and better for you and you know I'm still trying to unpack the workplace trauma still mm-hmm. trying to unpack fashion school trauma especially trying to enter back in fashion design and I talked to one of my friends she graduated the year before me and I talked to her all the time and just preparing with like job interviews and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like, what if they think this or they think that? She's like, Amani, they're not going to think that. Like, you're thinking too much. I'm like, you're right. Like, I think it's just that me being used to being picked apart about every little thing mm-hmm. at my last job. And so it's just, been, it's been crazy. <laughs> so that's what I'm remembering. So you yeah. also do the braid at work, right? You do the yeah. Braid. So Did I do you- a lot of like handmade textile type stuff. That's dope. That's something I would say that you should continue to do regardless of if you do find a job, if you um, do work at the company, or I know you asked me about the company I used to work for. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to say you're not going to run into the same shit. Yeah. <laughs> you will be so much more prepared. Okay. So what, so do you feel like you have the support you need in your personal life? for English with ADHD? Um, yes and no. I would say yes, especially from my mom now. Like, I've noticed she's grown a lot because she had me really young, but it really wasn't until more recent, especially with me talking to her, like, hey, mom, like, I think I have ADHD and hey, like, you know, I've been like this because of blah, blah, blah. Like, she's been a lot more, like, understanding. Mm-hmm. I also think that part of it I don't know if part of it has to do with her being older or part of it is because, you know, she's understanding things like the way I am or also because of her job. So like she works in DEI and mm-hmm. close students. So she's exposed to a lot of like crazy things and crazy life stories. So she's been way more understanding than she was when I was younger, when I needed her to be the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's okay. Cause you know, we got to move forward. Um, my boyfriend is very like supportive. Like if I need support in something, like if I just need help with like cleaning, washing mm-hmm. the dishes, like things that I might have like struggle with, like he's there to help. Um, my friends are really supportive. Like I said before, like I'm really only around people that make me feel comfortable. They just allow me to be me. And the more I speak up about and learning about like ADHD, like I share, you know, on social media and stuff. So they mm-hmm. kind of like, understand more about like why I am the way that I am even though they've always accepted me as I am mm-hmm. um, what would you change about your brain if you could um the executive dysfunction I hate it like I hate like not being able to get up and do something or having to like constantly be in manual mode and think about every little action that I have to do Mm -hmm. Like, I'm so surprised that there are people who can just get up and do things without having to, like, intensely think it through or think about it. Or give themselves a pep talk or something. Yeah, and still not be able to get up. (laughs) Yeah. 
I used but, to do when I was a kid and I would be like, oh, in five minutes. Yes, I did it all the time. Like, oh my gosh, like it's 12, 12. Let me wait until 12, 30. I'll get up. It's mm-hmm. 27. Still didn't do anything. Like, I really don't like that. Um, what else? Like, sometimes your chakras have to align. And like, that's <laughs> how when Lauren Hill said that, I'm like, girl, like definitely she is. <laughs> but sometimes this shit do have to line up. Um, so how would you describe ADHD to someone who has never heard of it? But specifically your brand of ADHD, because everybody's is different. So yeah. right. if you, and you in fashion, so you know, like when you write a tech pack, they always like, write it as if you are telling uh, a kindergartner how to um, make a peanut butter sandwich. So anyway, like that level of detail, if you can, what, how would you describe ADHD to someone? It's kind of like your brain is controlling everything. And when I mean your brain, it's even, we have our brain, we have our thoughts, we have our desires, but sometimes even your desires and wants and interests aren't enough Mm because your brain is going to do whatever. (laughs) So it's having the brain really control you, whether it's going to make you super energetic or Mm -hmm. your energy, your Mm -hmm. your thoughts are going to spiral into a tree branches so one thought I can talk about a red dress and I'm like oh my gosh last week like I bought some red tomatoes or something like your brain is going to associate one thing with another yes keep going until you realize you forgot what the point was (laughs) (laughs) it's forgetting everything it's forgetting deadlines sometimes it's forgetting people Mm -hmm. a long time without talking to them because object permanence mm-hmm. if you really cannot see it it's out of our mind I've bought so many things that I already owned but I didn't know because I couldn't see them like the hoisin sauce uh, <laughs> go to the store buy another hoisin sauce yeah mm-hmm. um it's feeling intense emotions like when you experience heartbreak it's the worst thing it tears up your whole body when you're happy when you're in love it's everything it consumes your entire being it's having so many passions and sometimes they last longer sometimes they last a week it's spending money on your passions and having all these visions and long-term goals but not having the focus to sustain them Mm -hmm. it's having intense hyper-focused moments on foods and just wanting to eat the same thing until one day you just want to throw up at the side of it. It's <laughs> it's missing deadlines. It's not having a sense of time. 30 minutes can feel like five. Five minutes can feel like 30. Mm-hmm. Eight hours can feel like two. It's mm-hmm. having trouble sleeping. It's having trouble waking up. <laughs> It's what else? It's so many of these different things, but it's also cool because with the associative thinking, you are constantly creative and you take chances sometimes when you're being impulsive. Mm-hmm. It, being alternative and really impressing people with your alternative thinking when it benefits them. Yeah. <laughs> Because no, it like you see, so because you can associate, do this, so you like, why are we doing this like this? Like, can we yeah. fix it? But you like being able, I think for me, my passion is trend research. And it's because I like 
so much to tell stories and I like to see the pattern in history and mm-hmm. how it relates to society and how people want their lives to be like I love that and that's why I like live and thrive in that space but um and then I also just forgot what I was saying but so see if it like it's it's a powerful tool like you said that can be used in certain instances but it's the fact that you can't turn it off so it's like it's like oh great we needed it for one project but now we need you to switch I'm like no like my body my mind does this com- this thing all the time like yeah I always keep up with the conversation because as soon as y'all say it like you said red I'm down a whole different mindset and I can't contribute as much you know mm-hmm. so anyway I'm sorry Continue. Okay. it's needing to take longer to fully un- understand a concept because your brain needs to put all the pieces together before they understand the big picture mm-hmm. um yeah, it's, you know, being able to accomplish complex labor intensive things, but struggling with like simple things like cleaning. <laughs> like I can cook complex meals, but best believe I'm not washing the dishes right after. Like somebody else got to do that. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> how people like my mother-in-law. Oh, my God. And she also, I think, has ADHD, too. But that's the end of the um, she's like, you know, well, you just got to clean as you go. And you, I'm like, girl. Well, it was great talking to you. I'm sorry I interrupted so much. Because, no, you're okay. Like, it's when you find somebody who is kindred, right? It's like, yeah. oh my God, yes. And it's, again, like, I remember watching this video on on Instagram once and it was like, when you find out like what, how ADHD works and you find people similar to you, you realize you are not that unique mm-hmm. and your experiences are not that unique, but it's also like yeah they lose some specialness but it also makes you feel like hey I'm not this weirdo on an island there are people who are like me and we can help each other with like the strategies on how to navigate this world but at the same time this world needs to change and accommodate us yeah understanding you know like neurotypical behavior most people are not like I don't I don't give a shit like somebody said this too like we are coming into a time where more people will be, you know, neurodiverse. So like the world needs to adjust to that. So anyway, it was great talking to you. I know we went over, I'm so sorry, Um, (laughs) but I would love to talk to you um, after and we can connect and just, yeah, thank you so much for doing this for real. This is amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I hope you have a good rest of your day. You as well. All right. Thanks again. All right, we want to thank our guests again for volunteering their time and being a part of this amazing work and coming and unmasking uh, for a little bit with us. Um, You can find us at ADHD Unmasked on LinkedIn uh, for now, and then we soon will be adding um, more, more social media, so look out for that. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.